Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. In the Psalms is written, Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, and for all your commandments are right. Let's do that together this morning. For God so
Whosoever believes will not perish, they shall have eternal life. Yes, they shall have eternal So sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. For I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave. Hallelujah. Christ is risen from the grave.
have kind of like a call and response thing. You'll know what I'm talking about. And the responses are all the same. So if you want to participate and you don't know the song, just sing those responses with me. Let's sing it together. Is anyone able to 
easy word of this. He is, he is, he is, he is, he is worthy, he is worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. He's worthy of this. reason we're here. God, we pray that we be focused on you this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. What a beautiful song, praising our Savior. The, the lyrics to that song are just amazing and so incredibly theologically rich. I, I am just happy. Thank you guys for singing that. That was awesome. Um, a few announcements before we get going today. Uh, women's Adoration Night is Monday, January 11th at 6.30 at the church. It's uh, just a, a time where the women get together uh, under God's word, prayer, fellowship. Um, that is January 11th here at the church at 6.30. The Bible study, the Vintage Faith Church Bible study is, is starting again this Wednesday. Wednesday nights at 6.30. Um, that's this Wednesday. We are in uh, the covenants. We're having communion today after uh, the service. So if you don't have the, the little communion cups, uh, grab them. They're out in the hall. I would imagine everyone has them at, at this point. Um, and let's go to the scriptures today. Mark chapter 2, verse 15 to 17. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Good morning to everyone here, and Happy New Year. Vintage Faith Church 2021, let's begin this morning with conversation with God. Lord God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for today, and I, I think we all thank you for encouraging us commanding us actually not to forsake the assembly. Um, it's such a joy being around um, people who have put their trust in you, Jesus. So th thank you for everyone here this morning. And I thank you, God, that you have, um, you have revealed yourself to, to us. You know, we know you generally through creation and our conscience. But you went even farther and you revealed yourself to us in the person of Jesus as recorded in the scriptures. So we're going to look at your scriptures this morning. Help us to test everything that is said and hold on to what is good. Please be with us and we praise your name, Jesus, and we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. 
All right, just to recap, we recently just finished our series on the book of Genesis. We looked at a bunch of events that turned out to be foundational to the rest of the scriptures. Then we celebrated Christmas where we, um, we celebrated the fact that, yes, the offspring of the woman, as we saw in Genesis 3.15, Jesus, he has come to defeat sin and evil. That was Christmas. And then last week, Pastor Anthony uh, strongly encouraged us with the necessity of reading our Bibles. Now, this morning, our topic is the book of Jonah. Who's familiar with the book of Jonah? Okay, good, good. Pastor Anthony, again, he reminded us that the Old Testament flows into the New Testament. And just keep that in mind because next week we're starting, okay, so Jonah is part of the Old Testament. Next week we're starting the book of John, which is New Testament. And as Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful in teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, so we caught up. Our outline for the book of Jonah this morning is going to be what observations about God, Jesus, what observations can we make when we look at the book of Jonah? And we're going to see that uh, God is a God of history, a God of miracles, and um, he's our God of mercy. From what I gathered from my notes, um, Vintage Faith Church, together, we, we did look at the book of Jonah over three years ago. It's been a while. It's a short book. Our Bible divides Jonah into four chapters. I, I read it a couple times. I literally timed myself. It takes less than seven minutes to read the book of Jonah. We all can read the book of Jonah. But the other side to that is that there's a lot of things in there that we can unpack. There's a lot of riches we can discover from the book of Jonah. Um, and in theology in general is like that. For example... For Christmas, I wanted to give a family member the Nicene Creed. If you're not familiar with the Nicene Creed, it's just a page-long statement of faith. We believe in one God. We believe in the virgin birth. We believe Jesus will come again. The Nicene Creed, it's a statement of faith. I printed it out. It's just on one page, framed it, and I said to myself, well, I'm gonna, if I'm going to give this to somebody as a gift, I should be able to... Um, talk on it a little bit, a couple of facts about it. So again, it's short, and I reached out to a couple online ministries. I asked them some questions about it, the dating about it, or, or how they date the writing of the creed. So this is a few days before Christmas, and I got a reply back. I clicked on the email, expecting to get, you know, just two facts I could share with this person about the creed. They sent me a link, I clicked on the link, sends me to Amazon, and what do I see? 28-volume book series, uh, $2,000. And either that or another link, I said, okay, that won't work. I went to another link. This was a 3,000-page book, $400. So this is two days before Christmas. Uh, not even Pastor Anthony can tear through books that fast. And in fact, when you say heaven, this is what Pastor Anthony thinks about. <laughs> <clears throat> so, how would you like to alphabetize that? Anyways, so the, the point is that um, Jonah and, you know, 
um, studying God in general, it, it's just, it's awesome. It, it's very rich. It does take some effort and time, but I'm always encouraged with the saying that you don't have to know everything in order to know something. So I did, I eventually got to know something about the Nicene Creed, but not 28 volumes worth of information. So if you're studying Christianity, keep on trucking. Let's dig into Jonah. So what I did was, if you're familiar with Sports Center, they usually have you know top 10 plays of the week. So I, I took a quick survey of Jonah. I kind of grabbed 10 passages out of the book of Jonah. I'm going to read that just so the book is fresh in our minds and, and we can be on the same page. And those are the, the scriptures that I'm, I'm reading right now. Just to give us, again, the, um, the broad narrative of this book. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. When God saw what they did, Nineveh, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And the Lord said, Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? So the observations we're going to make, uh, they can fall into two categories, as you see, uh, apologetic and theological. There's that word again, apologetics. What is that? Apologetics is the rational defense of the faith, giving reasons and evidence as to why we believe what we believe. So some of our observations from the book of Jonah will, will be apologetic, and then some of the observations will be theological. What do I mean by that? Theology is just a basic study of God, his attributes, um, his created order, his plan of salvation. Okay, so that's kind of a, a framework to where we're going. Now, I want to hone in right away on verse 1 and 2 of the book of Jonah. Right away, we can, make some, we, we can point something out. Okay, so verse 1 in the book of Jonah. We, we, we can point out right away that, yes, Jonah is a real person, an actual person. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. That's being pretty specific. Um, another document, another independent source, 2 Kings. He restored the border of Israel according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. There we see him again, the son of Amittai, the prophet. 
Jonah is mentioned in another independent document. This is the book of Matthew. For just as Jonah was there three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. There's another document, independent source, Luke. He refers to Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. And lastly up there, I put an extra biblical source that means you know, outside of our, our canon of our scriptures, um, a historian named Josephus. He also refers to Jonah. So first, verse one of the Bible, apologetically, we, we're showing that, yeah, the evidence tells us that um, Jonah's not some fictional character. He's an actual person. Likewise, we move right to verse two. Jonah, verse two. Arise, go to Nineveh. So we can see um, through the scriptures that Nineveh is an actual place. Okay, so another document, Luke. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they, repeat, they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Again, another document, 2 Kings. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Side note, um, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, there's a lot of archaeological corroboration for him, if you're interested. Uh, research, British Museum and Chicago Oriental Museum. Okay. Uh, departed and went home and lived at, there, there we see again, Nineveh. Another document, our book that we just looked at, Genesis. goes way back to Genesis. From that land, Shinar, he, Nimrod, went into Assyria and built Nineveh. And another book, Nahum, an oracle concerning Nineveh. Now, what we just did, I mean, if you can think of someone who might be skeptical of the book of Jonah, especially when you get to the fish part, which we'll address, but right away you can kind of, you know, calm the temperature by pointing out that, well, Jonah's an actual person. Nineveh is an actual place. I got a few photos for us. You know, I like pictures. Uh, This is a picture of ancient Nineveh. It's a city wall. That's... Um, somewhat of what it looks like today. Here's another photo. The, the city wall that we just saw is in the background now. This is Nineveh. Um, ancient Nineveh today is now known as Mosul, Iraq. This is, a, this is an old photo. This is a mosque that was built on the traditional site of Jonah's tomb. Now, when I was researching this, I came across journal articles, I think back in 2014 or 2015, ISIS has destroyed a lot of, a lot of Nineveh and they looted a lot of the artifacts. And so, you know, if you look for these photos, they're all going to be damaged. But um, Nineveh, real place. God of history is what, is what we're pointing out with that. Now we're going to move to our second part of our outline. Our God is a God of miracles. As you know, this is where it gets fishy. 117, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We've heard the jokes, is this a whale of a tail or a tail of a whale? Um, Jonah spent three days at the University of Wales. I used to laugh laugh at all those jokes too, but actually this this narrative is quite serious. 
Um, we're talking about a violent nation, God's impending judgment on them. Um, and, you know, the real issue here, or actually, um, if you think about this, okay, so what I did was I Googled, um, you know, what is the largest fish? And I got basking shark and whale shark. Now, when you see the size of the, the, the Bible doesn't really specify what fish it was, but just by looking at those two species, you can see how reasonable it is that, yes, that fish can swallow a man. Now, the miracle is that he survived it three days. We'll look at that. Now, I didn't want to print out, I didn't want to put an image of those sharks up here because it would give me nightmares. I don't even like seaweed touching my feet in a sea. So we make these jokes, but this, this scene must have been absolutely terrifying for Jonah. Um, this was serious. And as we've seen so far, it, it's also historical. So let's unpack the miracles. Like I said, the fish, really? You know, I just assume I'm going to walk. I work with a bunch of truck drivers. They're kind of brash. I just assume one day they're going to be making jokes about the Bible or something, and this, this book would probably come up. Okay, before I go there. Um, so let me give you a term, naturalism. Someone who believes in naturalism or someone who claims to be a naturalist, what they're saying is that they deny the supernatural. So in other words, they're rejecting miracles. In other words, they're rejecting God. Now, I just wanted to give you guys three quick responses to that to keep the conversation going with someone. Real quick, well, uh, regarding miracles, if God exists, then miracles are possible. Real simple. In other words, if there can be a fact of God, there can be acts of God. So on the heels of that, so the naturalist would have to, to disprove miracles, he has to first dis, disprove God. I haven't seen anybody do that. They need to dismantle the large case for God's existence. We've gone over this before. There's 25 philosophical arguments that point to the existence of um, a theistic God. So the person to deny the miracle would have to disprove all those arguments and make a case for atheism to say that there are no miracles. Third, we also looked at this in Genesis 1.1. We're living in a miracle. The universe is not eternal. It's not uncaused. Or I mean, it's not, yeah, it's not, um, hold on, what? The universe is not eternal and not uncaused. Yes, it had a beginning, it had a cause. We're living in a miracle. There was nothing. Atheists don't deny this. There was nothing and then there was something. That is a miracle. At least I have, you know, a miracle implies a miracle worker. We have a miracle worker. So I'm not really going to get into that. We did that. Um, those are just three quick responses for this issue of how, you know, how could Jonah even survive three days. C.S. Lewis, if we admit God, must we admit miracle? Indeed, you have no security against it. That is the bargain. Also notice, let me go back, back a couple slides here. The whole, th this part about the fish, again, Book of Jonah is divided into four chapters. The part about the fish is literally mentioned in only three sentences in that whole narrative. It's not, they don't even make a big deal about it. It reads, it's not embellished. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly. It's just straightforward. It's just recording what happened. All right, I'm going to step over here for a second because I want to stretch our brains a little bit. Just take a pause from our 
outline. We just did God of history, God of miracles. So now I just, I want to do something a little different. Are you still with me, breathing? Okay, um, I, this question right here, you know, I'm playing the skeptic. Evan, are you arguing in a circle by saying, well, the Bible says that Jesus says the Bible is the word of God, therefore the Bible is the word of God. Am I arguing in a circle? I'm not doing that. Um, okay, I didn't plan this part out too well. Um, no, I'm not arguing in a circle. What I'm doing, part of this process, is that I'm establishing that first, the New Testament, the Bible, the documents we have are reliable. They're reliable sources of history. So I want to show you real quick just, just a glimpse of this, how you can show that the New Testament is evidentially reliable history. Exhibit A. Anyone ever heard of this? Homer's the Iliad. I think a lot of people have to read this in high school. Uh, Tiffany had to read Homer's The Odyssey. This is, this is Iliad. Uh, so anyways, I went into Barnes & Noble. I asked them about this book. They had plenty of them. They're in the bargain section. There's nine of these books. Okay? Um, I bring this in because um, um, according to scholars, um, historians, this book right here is the next best supported document or piece of literature from antiquity in history. Antiquity, they refer to before the year AD 325. All those works and authors before AD 325, Julius Caesar, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Homer, um, are scriptures, okay? So this is the next best supported book, evidentially, behind the Bible. All right? Um, now this book here, Again, a classic, a cornerstone of Western literature, the Iliad. Now this, I have this in my hand. It's based on 1,900 manuscripts. If you remember manuscripts, what are those? They're handwritten copies. Okay, this is a copy in my hand. I don't have the actual document Homer wrote. This book here survives on 1,900 copies. New Testament, what we're looking at, uh, survives on a total of 24,000 manuscripts. Again, 1,900, second best, you know, people don't deny the historicity of this book. 1,900 manuscripts, 24,000 manuscripts for the New Testament. But specifically, you know, to, to make this analogy fair, I'll just focus on the Greek manuscripts, the original language the New Testament was written in, 5,800 manuscripts. It's still, still not even close to this. 1,900, 5,800. Okay, still with me? And <clears throat> the time gap in years before we saw the first copy, okay, 1,900 manuscripts for this. The earliest copies of those are dated 400 years later than when he wrote it. Okay, but this, again, this is accepted. 400-year gap. New Testament, 30 years to 300-year gap. So you, you can walk into Barnes & Noble. I went in there. I took photos. You got Homer's Iliad. You got Plato. You got all these works. They're called classics. 
Well, if these are classics, then the Bible's a gem. Okay, so I'm not arguing in a circle. I'm establishing the historicity and the reliability of the New Testament documents. Who's in the New Testament that can corroborate this story? Jesus. And I'm kind of skipping ahead. Um, yes, you, you start with God. If God exists and miracles are possible, then you get to the New Testament. Okay. Um, so to seal the deal with this, whole, this miracle section... Jesus affirmed this event. He affirmed the historicity of the book of Jonah and the miracle. He, in Matthew 12, 40, I don't think I have this verse, Matthew 12, 40 and Matthew 16, 4, um, Jesus literally based his death, burial, and physical resurrection on the book of Jonah. I think we read it, just as Jonah was three days, so will the Son of Man be three days. So anyways, why would Jesus base his ultimate confirmation his ultimate vindication of being God, why would he base that on a myth? So again, he established um, the book of Jonah. Okay. We're done with the hard stuff. Now let's go back into our outline for the book of Jonah. We want to make a theological observation now and see the grace of, the grace of God Many of us in here have received the grace of God and are overjoyed with his grace. So back to Nineveh. A little description on Nineveh. Nineveh was the capital city of the Assyrian Empire. Again, today it's Mosul, Iraq. A secular history book I have at home says, no ancient empire was more brutal than the Assyrians. They were both deeply barbaric and deeply civilized. Jonah corroborates this. And Jonah says, the king of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh said, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Another document, Nahum, corroborates the Assyrian Empire. says, from you came one who plotted evil against the Lord, a worthless counselor, host of slain dead bodies. Now, we need to ask, okay, well then why is God going over there to help this nation out? We're seeing this is the grace of God. That is grace. They don't deserve it. They don't merit it, just like me. And we can see why Jonah, one of the reasons why Jonah was fleeing. But again, Jonah also knew the grace of God, the mercy of God. And Jonah says, I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So part of his struggle was, he, he's part of the nation of Israel. He was thinking, well, we're, we're God's chosen people. We're, we're supposed to be a container of God's grace. And God was reminding him, no, you guys are a conveyor of my God's grace, of God's grace. The Lord's trying to tell him, you pity the, that plant? Um, should I not pity people who live in Nineveh, 120,000 people? And just, you know, this um, Genesis um, tells us the same thing. On the call of Abraham, I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you... The nation of Israel, all the families of the earth 
shall be blessed. So God's grace was reaching, uh, was going after Jonah, it's going after Nineveh, it goes after all of us. And just one thing to keep in mind, um, yeah, Assyria was bad. He's not just going there uh, willy-nilly and saying, eh, it's okay, just give him my grace. Um, the Bible tells us, yeah, well, first of all, the Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. Ezekiel tells us, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Okay, sending Jonah, Jonah there. But that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil way to receive God's grace. Now back in our, our, our narrative, Jonah here. Um, so again, we see the, the call. Or he tells Jonah to go again. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Call out against it. Okay? Um, God doesn't want, you know, he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He wants them to turn. Uh, when God saw what they did, they did turn, repentance. They did turn, and it also says in verse 5, they did believe God and turn, and God relented from judgment on Nineveh. So like I may have mentioned, we, you know, we all fall short, Okay? We all require God's justice, but we also all have access to be forgiven um, based on Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So there's a tension here. Uh, well, how does he deal with Nineveh, the Assyrian Empire, um, in love and in justice at the same time? Well, I, I, I found, or I sought Isaiah 53. I thought that kind of captures this tension here. I'm going to read Isaiah 53. Referring to Jesus, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." goes on to say that he was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Okay, to summarize the observations that we made that you can make through the book of Jonah about God, Jesus, is that Jesus is a God of history. He came down in real space, real time, real events, real people, real places. He's a personal God, got dirty. Um, Jesus is a God of miracles. He's powerful. He's supernatural. Um, he's trustworthy as we look forward to the resurrection of our bodies. And that he is a God of mercy. And a bonus observation, Jonah served as a type, a type of Christ, as Jesus himself said. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And Luke goes on to say...
As we think about and reflect upon communion this morning, the Lord's Supper, Luke goes on to say in chapter 24, Then he said to them, Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets, Jonah, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. As we prepare our hearts and our minds to take the Lord's Supper, I just want and hope that we can meditate on and, and kind of dwell on these two aspects of God. One, that, that God is a God of justice, and it's not justice as we know it, it's perfect justice. And therefore, all of us in this room fall under it, or have fallen under the judgment of God but God is also a God of mercy, as Evan was just speaking on. God has a heart for people. He does not desire the death of the wicked. And those two attributes of God meet on the cross. They meet perfectly on the cross. It's God's heart, his mercy, his love extended to humanity and God's wrath and justice being poured out on his son. The cross is, in one moment of time, the most loving and merciful act that humanity will ever know and one of the most horrific acts that humanity will ever know. And as we prepare to take communion this morning, I would just ask that you think upon those things. If you are a child of God, if you know Christ, this is for you. Communion is for us. If you don't, I would just ask that you pass on it. This is for his people. And there's nothing magic in it. We simply are commanded to do it, and we're remembering what happened on the cross. And in that, God provides some special means of grace for his people. This is a picture of the gospel. So before we eat, why don't we take a moment, a silent moment, and just think of those things in our life, in our heart, that we just need to bring to God and repent of and, and bring to him and be washed anew by his grace.
the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body. And it's broken for you. So let's together as a body of Christ eat the bread. And at the end of the meal, he took the wine and he lifted it up and he said, this wine is my blood. It represents my blood. It's the blood of the new covenant and it's poured out for you. Let's drink together. Heavenly Father, we, as your people, come to you this morning and we thank you for Evan and his teaching and the mercy that he pointed to us to this morning in your relenting of Nineveh. They were a horrific people. They had did nothing to deserve your grace and mercy, as did we. We are not saved by anything that we have done. We are simply saved by your mercy and your grace. Let us bask in that reality this morning. Let us sit in that as we sing this next song, as we commune together after this song and fellowship and talk. Let us just remember that we are a people who are saved by grace because you are a God of mercy. Amen. song we could ever sing worthy of all the praise we could ever bring worthy of every breath we could ever breathe and we live for you Jesus the name above every other the only one who could ever say worthy of every breath we could ever breathe we live for you we live for you praise we could ever pray 
worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one you could ever say. in his letter to the Roman church, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's aim to do that this week, church. Have a good Sunday. 
Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at VintageFaithCicero.com.